Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Jason Torres. We have a really interesting topic here today uh, discussing the way forward for petroleum engineers, a unique look at the academia angle of all of this. One of the biggest questions that I've received at a lot of SPE events is, should I pursue or continue a degree in petroleum engineering? Is that a major that is gonna do me well 10 years down the road? And both of our guests, both of whom are department heads from highly reputable petroleum engineering departments in the United States are going to be moving into this discussion. So our guests today are going to be Jeff Spath from Texas A&M University and Jennifer Miskimans from the Colorado School of Mines. And I think SPE is uniquely positioned to bridge this conversation between the oil and gas workforce and academia, because really when these two arms of the industry work in harmony, I think that the future can be quite bright. So let's go ahead and bring both of our guests into this conversation. Welcome. Hello. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Glad to have both of you here. Um, I know that this conversation could have been completely different six months ago. So to add a little bit of context in this conversation, COVID-19 really changed the way that the university system worked. And going back into March, April, and May, almost overnight, things did have to make some adjustments. Spring semester or quarter, um, however your system uses it of 2020, it's going to be referenced for years, the way that adjustments were made. So what were some key adjustments that, that both of you had to make? Um, Jeff, we can start with you. Okay, sure. Thank you, Jason. So beginning with uh, spring break, which was mid-March, our students returned uh, to campus only to find that everything except dining facilities and libraries and dormitories were closed. So they had no access to their research labs. They had no access to the teaching labs. And of course, they had no access to face-to-face -face instruction. So to the, to the credit of both the faculty and the students, I think within a week or two at most, everybody seemed at least somewhat comfortable uh, with either remotely or via courses that were specifically designed to be online. Significant difference, obviously, is that they were physically not able to come to campus. They had to do their learning. They had to do their homework. They had to have their exams proctored uh, by distance. And so you know, for better or worse, I think we managed to continue the teaching and the examinations to a, to a reasonably high standard. Uh, but obviously, one of the things, you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with students. One of the things that the, they didn't get was the, the social aspect, the ability to interact physically face-to-face -face with their instructor and the ability to continue their research. So there was there was actually some good things that came out of this, and I think we'll be using these going forward, uh, probably, you know, for, forever, because we've learned a lot about how we can instruct students remotely uh, and virtually, um, but obviously they missed out on a lot too. And so going forward, we're going to try to combine the good things we learned from this experience with uh, with a hybrid model in which some of the courses and all of the research is performed in person. I think from uh, our side, Colorado School of Mines, we were very similar to A&M. Uh, within a span of about two weeks, 
our students uh, really didn't even come back from spring break. They were told that uh, not to come back to campus if at all possible and that everything would be going online. Had to shut down the research labs, have since started to open those back up. I think probably um, one of the more difficult things was for the seniors, graduate students that were scheduled to graduate because they didn't get to uh, finish out that semester with their peers. So they had to have some virtual graduations and uh, uh, deal with the, that side of thing. But I think from the teaching standpoint, uh, very similar to what Jeff said, um, kudos to everybody involved. The faculty and the students came very quickly up to speed on um, just how to offer those classes and to get as much of the, uh, the experience out of it as possible, but definitely achieve the learning outcomes that we were shooting for in that case. Thank you again for taking time for this. What will it be like to apply internationally for entry-level positions in the near future? Is that something that you could both shed a little bit more light on? Um, Jennifer, we can go ahead and start with you on that one. Sure, I think um, applying from the international standpoint, I think brings some short-term challenges with it. Um, I think with the uh, level of travel restrictions that we're seeing worldwide, um, becomes a little bit of an issue with uh, physically moving or applying to positions like that. Uh, I think it has very, it's probably very dependent on the company as far as um, how they're willing to work with remote. Um, but that's a, from an academic standpoint, that's a concern that we have about just um, bringing people into the, the classroom in the fall is uh, international uh, situations like that. So um, I think it's, personally, I think it's probably going to be um, delayed a little bit if it's an in-person type of situation. I'm not really sure if those opportunities will necessarily not be there, but just rather be delayed. Are you considering becoming an SPE member? When you join SPE, you join a society of dedicated professionals just like you, working to address the technical challenges of the global oil and gas industry. SPE membership gives you the opportunity to make local and global connections and build a network of influential technical leaders from every discipline. Learn more at spe.org join. Getting back to a little bit how, how the university model has changed a little bit in light of all these situations, what lessons were learned in March, April, and May that will be included in your upcoming plans. Jeff? Yeah, um, obviously we learned on, you know, as we went along and I mentioned before the proctoring of exams, which is, you know, you don't think much about until you have uh, 40 or so students, each with their own camera and laptop uh, in their living room trying to take an exam. And so there's various methods, commercial firms that do this, uh, which we've utilized. Uh, we utilize teaching assistants, of course, various technologies to ensure, let's say, eth ethical taking of the exams. Big issue that we didn't foresee until it was actually in front of us. Difficulties that we had, uh, notwithstanding any IT, was the ability to communicate back and forth, you know, with, with the students. This is, this is why you have face-to-face -face teaching in the first place. Um, I, I feel like, again, having spoken with a lot of students, one of the first things they, they missed was that personal interaction with the professor. Uh, and, and I'm talking about just straight lectures here. It gets worse, of course, when you talk about caps 
resources, for example, where you're expected to work in a team, it's very difficult. And I'm not sure we've um, we've reached a complete consensus on how best to teach stone courses remotely. Uh, and then you have the the labs, which you know it's, it's painful to have to sit at home and watch a teaching assistant or a, a, a lecturer perform the lab on video and then uh, send you the data. It's just, it's just not the same. So there's no doubt that there's still a lot to be done. And I think this is, this is the, the main reason or one of the two main reasons why going forward this fall, and I think uh, Colorado School of Mines is in the same boat, we're doing hybrid courses. So those courses that require uh, a lot of interaction, such as capstone design courses and, and lab work, uh, we're doing everything we can to make sure that it's uh, on campus and face-to-face. -face. And Jennifer, I do want to give you an opportunity to respond to that also coming up, but I think this kind of goes along lines of what Jeff was just talking about with getting everyone acclimated to the new virtual environment or the hybrid environment. Any advice that you can give for students who are not able to meet face-to-face -face right now? Students who would have gone to SPE events or maybe had some other opportunity to meet face-to-face -face with a mentor, um, what can they be doing? Is it LinkedIn? Is there another option? Um, Jennifer, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I've had that discussion with quite a few of my students too, um, individually. It's, you know, it's a concern they have because of, of job market and, and just that networking capability. Um, what I'm telling them and, and uh, maybe a little bit of a plug for SPE, but SPE is holding a lot of, you know, virtual networking events. Um, if, whether it's SPE or other venues, there's a lot of lunch and learn type opportunities out there. And so trying to encourage them not to get frustrated just because they're locked away, you know, at home, or whatever, and can't get out um, to, to do it virtually. Um, you know, that there's, there's a lot of opportunities to get out there and, and have networking opportunities with whether you're listening to, um, you know, a podcast somewhere that's, that's live or whether there's, um, you know, even roundtables like this to, to just get out there and, and get a chance to meet people. And it, it's really no different than the physical networking. Sometimes that's tough for people and it's something that people have to work at. Um, this just brings a, a different option to it that it has to be done virtually. So get out there and, and get to meeting people. Um, don't just get locked away. And if I, if I could add to that, uh, yes, please. Jason, uh, I'm glad you mentioned SPE, Jennifer, because it's my understanding that in some of these conferences and workshops, et cetera, that are going virtual, there are separate, there is a, a parallel area, if you like, virtual area for networking. And so even though you can't go to Ertec um, in Austin or, or um, you know, one of the upcoming workshops, you can still tune in to the event and uh, do your networking. And, you know, the, I suppose the, the, the nice thing is it's, it's a level playing field, right? If, if nobody's able to go to these conferences and events, then uh, do your best networking virtually because everyone else is. And networking over the years as a function has adapted anyway. So this is just a new form of adaption for networking, um, getting people up to par on that. Another interesting question, um, this kind of goes back to Jennifer giving you an opportunity to answer how everything will be changing in the fall. If things do get worse in the fall regarding the coronavirus, um, teaching wise, um, any type of education wise, what would you do differently then that hasn't happened as of yet now? Yeah. 
So I think we're, you know, it's a, it's a really steep learning curve. It, it happened really quickly for us. And I think there's a lot of things that we're starting to learn about it. Um, uh, Jeff mentioned it, the, you know, one is just how to, um, how to make sure that uh, exams are administered correctly, um, that uh, people have that same playing field, that level playing field, as far as um, being able to uh, submit homework and, and, uh, take their exams. I think the other thing that we've probably learned about is um, even in this day and age, how access sometimes for people to online services, whether it's, um, you know, I've got a couple of people right now that are in internships that they can't, um, they can't get good internet because um, they're somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. So uh, getting people accessibility to those um, uh, online opportunities. The other thing that, and I think it's, I think this is very specific to petroleum engineering is that we have so many students that if they are not on campus and, and we are going live also, we're, we're absolutely planning on going live, but we know that not everybody will be able to return to cam, uh, campus. We have to be really cognizant of time zone considerations. Um, we, we have to hold office hours such that, you know, that everybody has access to those. So I think there's, I, I think it really is kind of a, a lot of just making sure that everybody's um, needs are addressed when we go into these online situations. And I think the, the big question that everyone has, and, and Jeff, I'm going to direct this one to start with you and then Jennifer, you can follow up. But that popular question is, and we can even reference the downturns. Um, should I even be studying petroleum engineering? Um, you look at people who maybe are trying to start a family and how difficult that can be if there's a downturn now every, um, every decade or so. In Texas alone, uh, we can look at the fact that there have been 26,000 jobs lost in the month of April, the largest that I could find on record for a single month. So how do you respond when a student or a prospective student asks you that question? Should I be pursuing a degree in petroleum engineering? Yes. <laughs> And why? I'm obviously, it's my uh, fault for asking yeah, a yes/no question, we're all, right? <laughs> we're all asked that question. The first thing I'd say is that cycles aren't unique to the oil and gas business by any means. They might be more frequent given they're tied to a commodity, but um, they're certainly not. It's not unique to to our industry. Of course, we see it more than we see any other industry. The second thing I'd say, somewhat joking, when I said yes, there's there's no doubt that. We are in the very early stages of a very long energy transition. You look at any credible predictions, you know, whether it's from ExxonMobil or BP or the IEA, and hydrocarbons will continue to supply by far the majority of our global energy demands um, well into the 50s, the 2050s. So that's, you know, that's, a, that's a long career right there. Uh, don't forget about petrochemicals and fertilizers and uses that that petroleum has uh, it isn't just electricity generation and it isn't just uh, the fuels to, to fuel your automobile so I don't think I'm being too biased when I say that the oil and gas business will be around for decades to come the world is going to continue to require petroleum and its derivatives so it's going to continue to require uh, petroleum engineers and at Texas A&M, we're actually doubling down on this. We're sticking to our guns, if you like, and and not trying to move into other forms of renewables, for example, like some programs are. We feel like 
there will be a, I hate to give a number, but generation still of petroleum engineers required in our industry. I like Jeff's answer to that. Yes, you know, I'd second the, the energy transition comments. Um, it's a transition, it's not a switch. And a lot of people, when you talk to them that are outside the industry and, and don't look at it from a big picture standpoint, they think that this, there's this magical switch that we're all of a sudden gonna go from a fossil fuel-based energy to, to others. Um, it's not, it's gonna take time. It takes, a, it takes plenty of time. Um, there's plenty of time, like Jeff was saying, for uh, careers to be made in that realm. And uh, even if you want to look at it from a from a more short term and short term, long term, it's it's relative to people. But from a short term standpoint, um, as we conquer this COVID as as a, a human race, um, the economy is going to start to turn around. And as the economy turns around, uh, energy drives economies. And so as we start to see that pick up in the, the short term and get the uh, the economy turned around, we're going to see a need for energy and a demand for PEs. And that's going to continue on to the future as we go along with it. So noting towards the future, then most universities saw petroleum engineering enrollments cut in half in the United States as a result of the 2014 to 2016 downturn. What, what needs to happen to either bring those numbers up or are the numbers not really as big of a concern as they sound? And if so, why? I don't think I'm not concerned. I think, you know, if you look at any history of petroleum engineering enrollment, uh, it's cyclical. Yeah. We're in a cycle now, which is deeper than most uh, because of its, you know, the, the combination of, of the two events we're all familiar with. Um, and so it might take a little longer to bounce back. But you see demand coming back already. I saw this morning that airlines are, are up 25% occupancy from their low, and they're not flying on battery power or windmills or anything. So I, you know, I would tell students, that prospective students that look and say, oh, you know, the numbers are down. Why would I get into this? This is a temporary downturn. And there's, you know, I'm, I've been, I won't speak for Jennifer, but I've been around long enough to see, um, you know, five or six of these, whether it's due to oil embargoes or geopolitical events or the Gulf War One or the Gulf War Two or, you know, market share driven uh, downturns, you name it. Uh, this is just another downturn and it will come back. And so I'm not particularly worried about undergraduate enrollment. What I'm worried about is graduate enrollment uh, for purposes completely beyond anyone's control, such as the ability to get here and the ability to get visas. The very nature, it's cyclic. Um, what goes down, and, and like Joe said, we're in a, a deep one, but what goes down is gonna go back up. And it's, you know, it's the nature of the game. Anybody that goes into this industry has to be at least aware of that. Um, we have major cycles, we have minor cycles in and around it, but um, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a great industry to be in. Um, Jeff and I wouldn't have been in it as long as we've been in it and, and a lot of other people if, if we didn't love it and have a passion for it. And I think anybody that's going into it just needs to realize that and be aware of it. And, but if you, hanging, you know, if you hang on and you have that passion, um, it's, a, it's a great place to have a career. And getting that career, one of the first steps for many is the internship. How to get an internship, what steps to make. Is that something that the students should be doing something different in, in this new world that we're living in? Or is there adjustments that companies can be making to better reach out to these petroleum engineering soon to be graduates? Yeah. 
I think it's both. Um, I, I'm not sure about A&M, but we're, we're getting ready to do a virtual career fair. Um, and I think a lot of people are probably looking to, to do that. When I say we, mines is in the fall. Um, there's going to be some things that are going to be different about that. I, I think there's also going to be some interesting things that are going to be opportunistic for students. Um, you know, instead of having to wait in a really, really long line, they've got a, an equal opportunity to to see different companies and to, to seek out these different companies that are coming from uh, for a for a career path and I, or for the career um, fair. But I, I think from the company side of it, they are also realizing that okay, we're going to have to do things differently. They might have limitations on uh, being able to travel or being able to get around campus to campuses. So. I think there's going to be some definite um, logistical changes. I don't think the bottom line, you know, applying, networking, getting involved, um, developing a good resume. I don't think any of that's going to change. It's just how we uh, how we approach it and how we go through it. Yeah, internships are a very very important. In fact, we we require our seniors to have taken at least one internship before we let them register for senior courses. We like to think we have a rep, good reputation for putting graduates out there that, that contribute on day one. And how do you do that? You you spend time sitting on a rig or sitting in an office or, or what have you. And so this downturn, again, similar to previous downturns, the companies can help by, for example, splitting the summer into two and hiring, you know, a dozen interns for the first half and half a dozen for the second half and that will satisfy the requirement uh, what we're doing in the department to facilitate this given that it's a requirement is we're replacing you know traditional internships where you might go sit a rig and we're combining uh, research with workshops so we've reached out to various software vendors and operators and service companies um, to deliver anywhere from a couple days to, to two week workshops. And the students have the option of picking this workshop, that workshop, combining it with a two week research project with this professor or that professor. And that satisfies the requirement for an internship. But for the students, the only thing I can, the only advice I can give students is, and I tell them this all the time, I don't know if they listen, but um, don't wait until your junior year uh, because you have to start early. Companies are only hiring full-time positions these days from their intern pools. So uh, you really have to think early, even as a freshman, and get that most basic job. And this is the other thing I tell students is I don't care what your first job is, whether it's full-time or as uh, over the summer, if it's painting, you know, painting the dog houses on the rig site or driving around in a truck strapping tanks. I know that's an outdated example, but um, do whatever it is you can to get some kind of experience to get your foot in the door for the next one. Yeah, the foot in the door is very important. And another resource that is available to, out, to the students who have recently graduated, who are out there looking for their first job, SPE does have an industry job board. Um, it's a tool for members and it, and it's for employers too. It's dedicated to positions within the oil and gas and related industries. So we can include a link to that in the description of this post as a resource that um, any SPE member could also use. 
much of the work of the Society of Petroleum Engineers is accomplished by members. Become a volunteer and use your knowledge and experience to influence SPE programs and activities. As a volunteer, you can enhance your leadership skills while meeting and working with other SPE members from across the globe. There are many opportunities to get involved, regardless of your experience, location, or experience level. To learn more about the League of Volunteers, visit spe.org volunteer. So what skills can students and recent grads really focus on right now to ensure that they have longevity in their career? Um, whether it's thinking about the skills um, that will actually just get you in that first step, like Jeff was mentioning, get you in the door to get you recognized by the company, and then what will also just ensure that longevity once you're there as well. Well, first thing I'd say is, you know, don't focus on skill sets there and give you that long career. Focus on what you need when you graduate. And most programs around the world, we have been tweaking our to include things that industry is asking for. Uh, the subjects around ESG, uh, the subjects around data analytics and uh, the application of machine learning to problem solving. We've done that and we're continue to add courses as we, you know, I've got a very strong industry board that I meet with several times a year and they tell me what, what recruiters want in a graduate. And so, um, the curriculum is constantly changing. I wouldn't worry so much about what skills you need outside of petroleum engineering, uh, but you can think about, you know, so I give advice to a lot of students who are maybe hesitant to commit to a master's degree in petroleum. And so I think I saw that as a question go by. Um, you know, take, take petroleum engineering as a minor. Petroleum engineering graduate, take a related minor, take finance. Um, chemical engineering, take data science as a minor, you know, broaden, broaden your, your skills base. But um, I would worry about those first skills to get the first job again, rather than what you're going to need. Who knows what you're going to need? When I got out of school, it certainly wasn't data science. I think it was EOR was the big 80s. And so don't try to predict what is going to be a required skill in, in 10, Focus on doing as much as you can within petroleum engineering and then make sure your electives are in something that interests you, obviously, but something that will um, add marketability to, your, to yourself, like, like a data science, like a finance, um, like chemistry, et cetera. Jennifer, can you add to that and then also maybe discuss how can what you learn as a petroleum engineer in university potentially be applied to other fields? Mm -hmm. So, I th you know, the following up with the, the first discussion, uh, diversification, I think, is, yeah. is important. I mean, we want to have people that are very, very well-trained in petroleum engineering and have that base of petroleum engineering. But kind of like Jeff said, you know, um, taking electives or taking minors in areas that you have an interest in, um, can supplement that base education, but also provide you with that opportunity for, for diversification. So, you know, the data analytics is, is a big one. We we have a minor at Minds in Data Analytics. We also this fall are launching an online certificate in data analytics. We are looking at things like uh, we have a minor in midstream. We have, we've all, you know, for a long time, those are work through our department, but we also have opportunities to get minor in engineering economics. We have a 
what's known as a four plus one option, where if somebody is interested in a master's, they can double count some of their credits from their bachelor's to a master's degree um, and work through that master's a little bit quicker. So I, I think it, it is, you know, it's, it's that diversification. It's, it's looking for, you, you still want to have interest in it. Nobody wants to take classes that they don't have to and don't like. Um, but that'll, that'll help with, um, you know, future endeavors, both short-term and long-term. I think from the, um, you know, the, the outside petroleum side of things, um, I think there's, there's some opportunities, maybe some more that, you know, petroleum engineers, we study fluid flow and porous media. So things like, uh, geothermal, um, energy options, uh, meet naturally with that. And, and we're seeing some increased interest in that. Um, but we're a petroleum engineering department. We're going to stay a petroleum engineering department for, for quite some time to come. Um, we just want to provide students some of those outside opportunities also and, and things that they can look at to help strengthen those skills. On, on just let me jump in here because you mentioned uh, diversification and I couldn't agree more. When you think about the skills, the, the, when you think about the core competencies engineering graduate, it's, it's understanding the subsurface. Yeah. Why not think about industries like geothermal, as Jennifer mentioned? Why not think about methane hydrates and mining? And we just finished a miner uh, in our Cutter campus on midstream, okay? Because petroleum engineers understand fluids and they understand thermodynamics, or they should. And uh, so, you know, these are these are things that on the edges of traditional petroleum engineering make you that much more marketable. I mean, when you think about the main recruiters, they're already broadening their portfolios out of oil and gas. So we have to do the same, educate, and as we graduate students, um, so that they'll, they'll get jobs. What about that next level of learning? Um, whether it's pursuing a master's, a PhD, is that something people can be doing with their time right now? Um, more people are saying that they have a little bit more time on their hands working from home, a little bit more access to the internet and, and using the tools that are available there. What advice would you give someone who says they do have a little bit of extra time right now? How, sh how are a few ways that they could be investing it? Well, Go ahead, yeah, um, we're, we're probably going to say the same thing. again. I think we're gonna, <laughs> well, I think it, it circles back to some of the earlier discussion, right? We have right. a lot more now online opportunities that people, if they do have some time on their hands, whether they're formally pursuing a degree or not, there's, there's a lot of places to learn. And as you learn and you, you get that uh, information, that's a great thing to put on a resume and you put it on a resume and that leads to, you know, future opportunities and improved opportunities. So, um, I, I don't think you can ever go wrong learning more. Um, it's just, you know, what, what do you have that interest in and where do you want to go with that? So go yeah, ahead. I, I would say that you, you don't, again, the, the short answer is, should you get an advanced degree in your spare time? Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I worked for four or five years and then went back and got my master's worked and came back to the same company, worked another four or five years, went and got my PhD, came back to the same company. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be formal in the in the sense of getting a MS or a, or a PhD. Uh, just, and I'd, I'd tell people this in management all the time, just make sure you're continuously improving yourself and continuously educating yourself, whether it's an SPE short course or uh, you know, a distance learning master's degree. We have a huge number of people right now. We talked about how enrollment was going down physically. 
our distance learning enrollment's going through the roof exactly for this reason. They're working from home, they have time on their hands and they're getting their, their masters of engineering in most cases uh, in petroleum engineering. So the, the summary there is yes, um, whether or not you have spare time because of this virus, I have always encouraged employees and, and students both to constant continuous education or you'll, you know, you'll fall behind. And on, on the SPE front too, there's online resources, the online trainings, the webinars, um, whether you're looking for CEUs or just to continue your education in some degree, that's all available. We'll include those links in the description of the post too. Also, I, I would even encourage any student to look out and see, you know, is there a, a chapter that I could join at my university? It's an SPE chapter. And is there a section in the region that I can filter up in and network there and learn more from people who may have gone through what I'm going through right now, whether it be in my discipline or um, in my region alone, if, if you're going to stay in the same region. And and that's something else that, that people have been asking too, with now that we've seen whether it's going to be considered by some the same downturn or a downturn every three years or so, if this trend continues, is that something that is being forecast at all? Is this something that, that we should be concerned about three years from now to see this come back again? Or how can we prepare to make that not happen from an academic standpoint? I'm, I'm going to turn this easy question over to Jennifer because it's so easy. <laughs> I'll I'll reach into my closet back here behind me and get my crystal ball out, and then we can we can work that out. If someone takes this and and uses it three years from now and says, "Well, you said this was going to happen," I mean that's that's not what we're looking for. This is just no. But I I think time. seriously, you know, first of all, I'm I'm I I never give predictions on oil price. In fact, I never listen to anybody give <laughs> predictions on oil price, uh, and therefore uh, cycles. But what we can do as educators is make sure that we give the students, the graduates, the skills, um, and we've talked about this already, but to, to make them as flexible as possible, as broad as possible, but rather than teaching them, you know, very specifics subject-wise, you have to teach them fundamentals and then teach them how to solve problems so that they can they can graduate. Look, when, when companies hire petroleum engineers, they want petroleum engineers. And in good times, if they can't get them, what do they do? They get mechanical engineers and electrical engineers and civil engineers and aerospace engineers, and they turn them into petroleum engineers in their in-house uh, training programs. Okay, so there's nothing saying the converse of that can't work. If petroleum engineering graduate, and you and in three years, there's a there's another significant downturn, and you find yourself without employment, then go to work as a be as broad as you can. And as educators, we have to make sure that they graduate with these problem solving skills so that there's, they're flexible enough to weather uh, next downturn. Yeah. And I'd have to, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, when you look at the downturns and, and we look at, um, you know, hiring numbers and percent placement and whatnot. And our, I think it at mines and I think at a lot of universities, the interesting thing is, is even when we see, a decrease in percent placement in petroleum engineering, a lot of times that's actually, the value is still, that percent placement is still higher than a lot of the other engineering disciplines that um, are being placed out there. 
So even when we see some downturns, I think it's because we do have some really broad skills that, that PEs might not go into the industry right at that point in time, but they have skills like Jeff's saying that they can get hired in a lot of other places. And so, um, yeah, we don't like to see those percentages go down at all, but I think we have to put it in context when we look at um, other situations and other opportunities that people are looking at uh, that we're still in, in really good shape, even in some of the, the rough years. Now, the, the caveats out there that, you know, of course, this is, this is a unique situation, but um, we see that in most of the downturns. So, you know, it might be slightly different in this case, but uh, the, the base truth should hold. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, if I have a second just for a little story, uh, so I started in academia just over two years ago. And one of the first, my first questions was, what is our placement ratio? How many of our petroleum engineering graduates get jobs upon graduation within say six months? And it was 80 something percent. I think it was mid, mid eighties, doesn't matter. And I, I thought, well, we have to do much better than that. I want it to be, you know, in the mid nineties. And so I went to my peers, the department heads of mechanical, electrical, chemical, civil, nuclear, et cetera. And we were doing better than they were. So for the students out there who think that, you know, you're going to go through a petroleum engineering program and you're going to graduate, and you're not going to find a job. Um, you know, we're, and I'm, I'm, I know CSM is, is, is similar. We're in the mid eighties and that is at or above degrees. You would think were much more marketable. I, I really want to thank both of you for being so transparent. I know that a lot of these questions are questions that students and prospective students have really just wanted clear understanding, thought provoking answers to. And a lot of the point of this conversation was to spark that conversation. I do want to get final thoughts from both of you in a, in a moment, but Jennifer, I'm going to put you slightly on the spot. Um, you've been working on a book for, for SPE <laughs> a, a little bit. So I do want to give you an opportunity um, to plug that really quick. So, so here's your opportunity for that. <laughs> Jason, we, we've worked on that together. He's, he's been helping me with some of the PR. Um, yeah. So, uh, there we go. Hydraulic fracturing fundamentals and advancements. Um, SPE had not had a, uh, a hydraulic fracturing book that covered uh, the breadth of the, the topic since the, I believe it was 1989 monograph on advancements in hydraulic fracturing. And so SPE asked me if I would take on a project that had been started. And I think we eventually herded 28 authors into writing 18 different chapters. And uh, yeah, we were able to finally release that um, last year. I won't tell you how many years it took to actually get that um, updated, but um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate that plug, so. All right, so Jeff, let's go ahead and start with you then. Just final thoughts on this discussion. Last year, yeah, I, I don't have a book. I don't have a book to plug. <laughs> um, so my uh, congratulations on that, Jennifer, by the way. Thank Hurt, you. Hurting uh, a bunch of hydraulic fracturing experts has got to be uh, unenviable to say the least. Uh, my, my summary, I think of, of all of this is, you know, to me, when I, when I agreed to do this webcast, I thought, well, the, the overarching premise is going to be whether or not students think they should go into petroleum engineering. Will there be a degree? Will there be a career there? And, and my answer, and naturally I, I might be a little biased, but look, if you pick the career you want to pick, I mean, don't pin your ambitions and, aspirations on a, a few data points or some 
sloppy public opinion polls or biased articles that you might read in the literature. If you, if you want a career that allows you to contribute to, to human flourishing, to be proud of what you do, lift pe lifting people out of poverty, if you want a career that gives you an international exposure, worldwide travel, adventure, uh, all the rest, uh, and let's not forget that it's, it's, it pays nicely when compared to other engineering graduates, um, then pick petroleum engineering. And if you want, if you're nervous, then hedge your bet and, and take a minor in something that's either related or unrelated. But uh, my, that's my summary. Uh, and I'll go back, you know, to my original answer, which is, should you pursue a career in petroleum engineering? Yes. Jennifer? Uh, yeah, so I will uh, add my last thoughts with a, a little bit of a personal story. 30 years ago when I was uh, kicking off my career, 30 plus maybe, um, I was having this exact same conversation, but I was on the opposite side. Uh, everybody was telling me nobody in their right mind would go into petroleum engineering because I wasn't going to have a career and I was never going to have a career. And that five years later, I'd be unemployed and I'd have to go back to school and, and get a different degree. And um, I'm glad I didn't listen to them and those naysayers at that point in time. And I would say that we are back just having that same conversation because we're at the bottom possibly of a downturn. And again, that downturn is going to come up. Sometimes the best time in the world to go into an industry, especially a cyclic industry, is when you're in a downturn. Because as you're going into it, you're going to be the person that's going to be there when you uh, when it pops out. And um, so, you know, yeah, I will I will second what uh, Dr. Spath said. Yes, people should consider petroleum engineering as a career, and I have no hesitation whatsoever telling anybody that. And okay. one one thing, sorry, I know, I know, I had my my chance, but one thing I can't believe we went 40 minutes without mentioning, and that is technology. I mean, if you excel at science and, and math, I don't know of another industry that has as exciting tech technologies as the as our industry. And, you know, I'm not going to go into them, but, you know, if, if, if you like STEM, you'll love petroleum engineering. A great topic for, for another discussion. There too. You go. I'm sure we could, yeah, we could spend 40 minutes on that. Um, <laughs> thank you both so much for your time again. Jeff Spath, Texas A&M University, Jennifer Biskimens with the Colorado School of Mines, department heads. Um, I'm not allowed to use the word esteemed, I've learned, but definitely reputable people. Thank you, um, Jason, and, and thanks to uh, SBE for lining this up. And, uh, and don't forget, those of you looking for a job, don't forget uh, the SBE job board. It, it's working. We'll have that link in there for everyone to access. And that'll do it for this time. We'll see you next.